Suspect listeners, welcome back to another episode. It's your host, Katie. I mentioned in the last episode that I was going to kind of just be pushing out multiple things, giving you guys some more content. So I went on Reddit and I just found like some funny New Year stories that I thought that we could read through. I know that you guys really like the threads, so I think that we'll just keep doing them and I'll just find like... I don't know, some some different threads to read every other episode. So, yeah, the ones we have today are from New Year's. But before we jump into the Reddit episode today, I don't know if any of you listening have been seeing this Brian Flores lawsuit with the NFL, but I definitely want to discuss it. I think it's something crucial going on right now and just kind of go through that with you guys. So... Okay, so the information for the Brian Flores lawsuit that I'm going to be referencing from is going to be from um, an NFL article, and it's titled, Brian Flores Lawsuit Reflects Widespread Discontent Among Black Coaches Over NFL Hiring Processes. So I'm just going to read through this article with you guys um, so we can all be on the same page as to what is happening with this. So the National Football League has a long and troubled history when it comes to race and head coaches. Fritz Pollard broke the coaching color barrier in 1921. However, it took 68 years before Art Sell became the second man to lead an NFL team. The turn of the century, we had only seen four black head coaches. At the dawning of 2022 and the league's 102 seasons, 13 franchises had never hired a black non-interim head coach, and 11 others had only hired one. Stated another way, entering this hiring cycle, three-quarters of the league's 32 franchises had employed one or zero black head coaches. It is against that backdrop that former Miami Dolphins head coach Brian Flores kicked off Black History Month last week by suing the NFL and three of its teams for an alleged pattern of racist hiring practices by the league and racial discrimination, specifically by the Dolphins, the Broncos, and the Giants. The NFL had only one black head coach entering this hiring cycle, and six of the first nine vacancies this year went to white men. Two of the final three openings went to diverse candidates, the Texans who hired Levy Smith, a black man, and the Dolphins who appointed Mike Mid- Mike McDaniel, who is a biracial, but those hirings came after the Flores lawsuit. Only five of the last 36 head coach openings have gone to black men, an unacceptable reality that NFL commissioner Roger Roger Goodwell acknowledged just four days after a league statement said Flores' claims were without merit. During his annual pre-Super Bowl news conference on Wednesday, Goodell was asked about the discrepancy between these two comments. It's a good question, which I've asked in our office, and we've talked about it, Goodell said. But I think the initial reaction was regarding the legal claims themselves, and not really what we would say the experiences of what Coach Flores was going through. And I, and that's what I'm more interested in. I put the legal claims and the legal process to the side, and that'll be handled by the lawyers. To me, it's more important for us to sort of listen to this and understand what he and other coaches are going through. For his part, Brian Flores' message is simple. We need change, he told ESPN last week. The hiring practices in the NFL and the numbers speak for themselves. 
I've been in this league for 18 years, and the NFL is an example to the world. It really is. People follow the lead of the NFL. They just do. That's how powerful this league is. There's an opportunity here. There really is. We are at a fork in the road. Things are either going to stay the way they've been or we're going to move in a direction that will not only help and affect change among the black and minority coaches in the NFL, but also elsewhere. Brian Flores was fired last month following three seasons with the Dolphins. After getting a team that had posted losing records in the nine of the previous ten seasons, he exceeded expectations in year one, and then he guided Miami back-to-back winning campaigns in his final two years. They overcame a 1-7 start in 2021 with eight wins in the last nine games. Dolphins owner Stephen Ross, without citing specific examples explaining Flores' firing, says, I think an organization can only function if it is collaborative and if it works well together. I don't think that we were working really well together as an organization that would take it to really consistently win at the NFL level. Which is just like this whole article is dumb, right? But this, I mean, it's not dumb because he's explaining. But everything they're saying in response to Brian Flores is fucking stupid. Like, what are you talking about? You don't think he has what it takes with your organization to win. You guys were losing for the last 10 seasons. And then he steps in and you win more than half of your games. So what do you mean you don't work well together? What do you mean? What what do you mean? Like, what the fuck? So Brian interviewed for the Giants head for the Giants head coach opening, but alleges that it was a sham process because the team had already decided to hire Bills of the Bills offensive coordinator, Brian DeBall. He attributed his belief to text messages, which there's screenshots of, that he received days before the interview in which Patriots coach Bill Belichick, apparently believing that he was speaking to Brian DeBall, congratulated Flores on being the Giants' choice. In his lawsuit, Brian Flores alleges his interview was simply a means for the Giants to comply with the league's Rooney rule which requires teams to interview at least two minority candidates for vacant head coaching positions. The Giants have issued a statement calling Brian Flores' allegations disturbably and simply false. Which, no, it's not. Why did he still have his interview then if you guys already had somebody to hire? Like, make it fucking make sense. It doesn't. He's exactly correct in his allegations. At least a dozen minority coaches and personnel people were contacted for the story and none wanted to speak on the record for fear that it would impact job security or mobility. However, there was a unanimity among them that sham interviews and racial discrimination are part of the NFL hiring process. One personnel said, it's probably going to air out a lot of dirty laundry. What happened to Brian Flores has been going on for decades, but no one has ever wanted to push the issue. Most have been happy to have the opportunity just to work in the league and haven't wanted to walk away for that opportunity. I admire his resolve. Not all have been willing to go along with the status quo. Clarence Shellman spent a decade and a half as an assistant coach in the college ranks before jumping to the NFL, where from 1991 through 2011, he was a position coach for some of the game's top running backs, including Emmitt Smith. From 2007 through 2011, he was the offensive coordinator of the Chargers, who ranked in the top five in scoring during each of those five seasons and went to playoffs three times, including a trip to the AFC Championship game. 
As Shellman's career progressed, he dreamed of becoming a head coach. But the higher he climbed on the occupational ladder, the farther he says he found himself from his desired destination. So in 2012, having never been offered a single interview for a head coaching position, he walked away from the game. It's emasculating. It's devastating, Shellman said of the unequal playing field. You work tremendous hours and you produce. Then you see the guys come in the game that have coached three years or they're sons of somebody else. And the next thing you know, they're a head coach and you're not. You've been busting your ass all these years and you can't even get an interview. It really plays with your mind. You realize that you don't have a chance. It's almost paralyzing. Part of the problem is that most coaches can't do anything about it because they need that salary. So they play the good soldier and they go on. But I was different. When I realized how this thing operated, I, I saved my money and I invested my money and I walked away on my terms. As much as I loved the game, which has given me everything, including my education, I could no longer look at myself in the mirror and know that I'm going along with this systematic racism. It's real. Everything that Brian Flores is saying. It was jarring to many coaches of color last week when the NFL's initial response to Flores' lawsuit was to put out a statement of denial. However, by the weekend, Goodell issued a memo to all 32 teams announcing plans to reevaluate and examine all policies, guidelines, and initiatives relating to diversity, equality, and inclusion, before adding, racism in any form of discrimination is contrary to the NFL's values. On Wednesday, Goodell answered a series of questions on the matter, laminating the fact that these issues continue and asserting that any form of discrimination will not be tolerated. Last year, we were talking about the same subject, which I think is part of the frustration that all of us have ultimately, he says. We're going to talk to other people, have independent, have independent people come in and look at it and help us evaluate because it's sometimes hard to evaluate your own policies and procedures and make sure that we're doing everything we can to possibly create that opportunity for everyone. Yes, it's hard to <laughs> it's hard to evaluate your own policies when your own policies were strictly created by white men. Like yes, like the <laughs> can't bro. Like I just want to smack some white men in the face. Like you guys are purposely misunderstanding the point here. Like yes, this fits exactly to your lifestyle because you're a white man and these laws and policies were created by white men like it would make sense that you would feel like that okay which brings me back to brian flores asked last week what he would like to see come from the lawsuit he responded i would like to see the hearts and minds of the people making those decisions to change in a way where there is more what's the word i'm looking for they want to have, they want to or have a feeling to hire someone of color, that they can relate to that person, that they can build a relationship with that person. I think that's a little bit of the issue. We need to open up a little more and there's opportunity for that. So yeah, that is what's going on. He kicks off February 1st by filing this lawsuit, which I love. I hope, to be honest, if you guys want my opinion on it, I hope he fucking takes them for everything they have because it's just obvious. Like there's clearly a systematic racism like in the nfl's league like when it comes to the players and the coaches like all the way down so it's like bust they ass brian bust they fucking ass <laughs> and i'm a broncos fan but i hope he fucking sues john elway for everything he fucking has i don't have time for that i'm not supporting no racist man i'm not doing that fuck you all right so let's go ahead and jump right into the reddit episode for today first story kicks off with 
Not sure if this will be seen, but my best New Year's was that of 1999. I was nine years old at the time, and I was working with my dad to pull off the greatest prank in history. A few minutes before midnight, I synced up a wristwatch with the countdown on the TV. My dad pointed me in the direction of the breaker, which was our garage, and he showed me the lever to pull, which would cut all power to the house. Now, I don't know if you remember the hype, but the year 2000 was supposed to destroy all of our computers and technology, sending us back to the Stone Age. So the moment grew closer as I watched the seconds tick by on my wrist, and soon it became apparent that I wouldn't need it as I could hear all of my relatives inside counting down. 10, 9, 8, 2, 1. I pulled the lever at the perfect timing and everything went black. The first thing I heard was my aunt. Oh my god, it hit Y2K hit! I was only going to leave the power out for 10 seconds or so, but the lever was stuck and I couldn't get it back up for about 2 minutes, during which the whole time I heard my family freaking the fuck out. Then eventually they looked outside and started to wonder why all of our neighbors still had power. Haha. Ha. Thinking back, I really wish we would have recorded this. Probably could have won $10,000. <laughs> That's funny. Could you imagine being in the house when that happened? You think all your technology is about to go out, and then the fucking lights just go out. My heart would have dropped. Would have fucking dropped. <laughs> okay, this one says, Last year, about 2 a.m. on New Year's Day, I heard a loud noise. Sounded like someone drove to the end of my street and hit the dumpster. The sound was loud, metallic, and almost hollow. I went outside to investigate it since my car is parked along the street and I wanted to make sure that it wasn't hit. I get outside and it's dead quiet except for a female making noise. I live in an apartment building right next to the interstate and on the other side of that is a hospital with a huge parking lot. I heard the female and figured kids were out screwing around in the parking lot, but as I listened closer... I noticed that the female was crying and saying things like, oh my god, over and over again. I went inside and bundled up since it was about 20 fucking degrees outside. Then I walked the short distance and up a hill to the fence line to the interstate. It was really dark, but I could see the shape of an overturned vehicle in the road and the silhouette of another car on the shoulder. Traffic was very light. Right then, a police cruiser pulled up slowly and shone his lights on a mass in the road. He flipped on his emergency lights, turned his car so his lights were facing oncoming traffic, and set about putting down flares. I went back inside to grab better gloves, and when I came out, there were several emergency vehicles there, and they were setting up floodlights. The mass in the road was a body. Luckily, I did not see details. By that time, there was enough light the body was covered. I never saw the female. Later, I learned that two guys in a BMW were driving fast and they tried to pass the female driver. They lost control and flipped the car. They were both ejected from the vehicle. One ended up in the ditch and the other in the middle of the highway. The guy in the ditch lived. Apparently, the female driver stopped and tried to help and that's who I heard. Oh, damn. Buck. That's a lot. That is so fucking sad. Could you imagine just, like, walking up the hill and seeing that? Like, fuck. I would stay there all night and just, like, watch them do that. Like, what the fuck? That's awful. Okay, the next one is, 
was working in an ER on New Year's Eve as an insurance goon, talked to a very nice homeless gentleman whose legs had some kind of horrible skin infection going on from the knee down. The smell was intense, and this was the only time I was seriously nauseated from something while working there. Later that evening, I went to a New Year's party hosted by someone a bit classier than I am. One of the food items being served was a small but delicious-looking wheel of cheese. After putting a small piece in my mouth, I realized it was very soft and runny and tasted exactly the way the ER's patient, the ER patient's feet smelled. It was an unpleasant sensation, to say the least. Ugh, I would have fucking thrown up. Like, that's gross. Why did you compare the two? <laughs> Okay, the next one is, went to, a New Year, went to a New Year's Eve concert where a guy I was semi-seeing and his band were playing. I had planned on surprising him because I originally thought that I couldn't make it. Midway through the show, he's like, I'm dedicating this song to a special lady. She said she couldn't make it, but I just spotted her in the audience and I couldn't be happier. My heart was on fire. Here's to you, Anna. <laughs> My name is not Anna. He pulls some other girl on stage and starts serenading her. I honestly thought that I was going to die right then and there. As soon as I could escape, I ran out of the venue, crying all the way down Essex. Stopped in a bodoga, bought a six-pack of Coors Light, and drank them on a trade ride home. <laughs> that's fucking mortifying. That is mortifying. Like, see, that's why you just always assume that whoever you're dating or talking to has, like, five girlfriends. <laughs> it saves you from the disappointment, I promise. Okay, so the last story that I have, this is kind of a long one. I did these, like, months ago. so I, Or not months ago, but, like, weeks ago. So I don't even remember, like, writing these down. So, again, when I'm reading these with you guys, it's like reading them for the first time again. <laughs> okay, the last one says, I had a huge crush on a friend in college. We'll call him Rob. I would always confide in my best friend about Rob. We'll call my best friend Jess. Jess had never met Rob. She had just heard about him through me. I was very anxious when they first met if they would get along. They got along fantastically. I would still talk to Jess about Rob on a daily basis because I was too shy to do anything with Rob, so Jess was my outlet. Fast forward to my birthday. We had a house party with all of my college friends. Both Rob and Jess were there. We go to a club, and for the majority of it, I couldn't find either Rob or Jess. I later found out that Jess was very drunk, so Rob took her home. Fast forward a month later to New Year's Eve, a mutual friend of ours is all having a New Year's party. Everyone decides to go to the clubs. I decide I'm not going because I don't like clubbing too much. Rob says he'll stay behind. Fantastic. Some alone time with Rob around New Year's Eve, even be a New Year's kiss. But then Jess says she doesn't feel like going either. What? Ugh, fine. Half an hour later, everyone but the three of us is gone. We're hanging out, watching a movie. I excuse myself to go to the bathroom. I come back to find Rob and Jess basically having sex. I go to the house owner's room and cry through the countdown. Jess apologized to me days later after realizing I'd caught them when I was ignoring her phone calls and I stopped hanging out with both of them. I forgave her eventually when she explained that she ended up having a huge crush on Rob, a huge crush on Rob since I introduced them and things just sort of happened on New Year's Eve. Later they celebrated later next year. Later that year they celebrated their first anniversary. Not on New Year's Eve. No. On my fucking birthday. The night that Jess was quote unquote sick. <laughs> I just wrote that one down because I 
feel you, girl. I fucking feel you on that. You cannot trust these bitches. These bitches be trying to get with your man or who you want to be your man. You can't trust these bitches. You can't trust them. You can't trust these men either, honestly. You can't trust any of these men because they be wanting to fuck your friends too. They, they don't tell you that, but it's the truth. It's the truth. They be lying. They be lying. Anyway, you guys, thank you so much for listening to the Reddit episode. This was a little short one, but I hope that you enjoyed it. Um, if you don't follow the podcast Instagram at Suspect Podcast, go check that out. Stay up to date with everything for the podcast there. You can also follow my personal at Katie underscore Kennedy, K-E-N-N-E-D-D-Y. I post all kinds of shit on there, so... You guys are welcome to follow either or both. Um, If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please take five seconds, scroll down, leave me a rate and a review. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you don't like. Again, I just like hearing from you guys. So if you have any case suggestions, please send those to me on Instagram. Um, Any crazy stories that happened to you or someone you know that you want me to read on here, again, please send those on Instagram. You guys can always send them to the email too, but I'm just going to be honest. Instagram is like the best place to get in contact with me. That's where I'm going to see it probably the next day. So yeah, follow the Instagram, leave me a rate and review, share this podcast with a friend, and I hope that everybody listening has a very happy Valentine's Day. And if you don't have a Valentine, be your own fucking Valentine. You got, I'm so sick of seeing y'all on social media talking about y'all don't have a valentine. You're 25, girl or bro. Like, come on. Like, spoil yourself. Take yourself out to dinner. Do something nice for yourself. Like, fuck. That's lame. All right, let me get off here. <laughs> yeah. All right, I love you guys.